You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Beauty Translated Season 3 is coming soon with what? A second host? I'm Carmen Laurent, and this season I am joined full-time by world-renowned Janie Danger. Janie, what are we talking about in season three? We're talking about life, Carmen. Beauty Translated is about the many fragmented lives spreading across this rich tapestry of the trans experience. And the all-new Beauty Translated love line at... 678-561-2785. Listen to Beauty Translated Season 3 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye. Bye. Hi, this is Shannon Doherty, host of the new podcast, Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty. So in this podcast, I'm going to be talking about marriage, divorce, my family, my career, I'm also going to be talking a lot about cancer, the ups and the downs, everything that I've learned from it. It's going to be a wild ride. So listen to Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. School of Humans. Just be clear, I'm an absolute idiot. <laughs> and so is my friend that was with me. We should never have gone. And obviously not recommending the experience because, you know, you're going to die. That's Tom Hart Dyke. And Tom? Well, he's an orchid lover. Back in 2000, his zeal for these precious blooms even got him into, I'd say, a little bit of trouble. I'll let him tell the story. I met this chap called Paul Winder, also from England. And not a plant man so much, but more of a mountaineer at heart. And we agreed to cross this area called the Darien Gap on the Panamanian-Colombian border, an area that we knew wasn't that safe. But Paul knew there were wonderful mountains to be discovered. And for me, I knew it was a honeypot for orchids. So the two decided to buddy up and travel through the gap together. We met up beginning of March of the year 2000 to catch the six-hour bum-bruising pothole-filled bus ride down the remainder of the Pan-American Highway as it fizzles out in the little hamlet, very, very small village of Yavisa. You get off the bus, don your rucksacks and your three-foot-long machetes we'd bought a few days earlier, mosquito nets, enough food for about two and a half weeks, we reckoned, which was the time to cross the Darien Gap, according to our Lonely Planet guidebook. And we followed the map in that guidebook. And we made fabulous progress. Following paths made by the wild pigs, the two explorers weaved through the gap with unexpected ease. You are in the middle of absolutely nowhere. And the wild boar and the very few people in the area as we entered into this clearing. Full of air plants, 
orchids. I mean, it was a lovely place. Uh, no orchids really worthy of Granny's name. I wanted to name a new species of orchid after my dear Granny. That was my main drive to see orchids and find a new species for her. It was a wonderland of plants. And then, suddenly, Tom noticed something out of the corner of his eye. And we got our rucksacks on, on our backs and started to walk through this clearing when our guides just stood in front of us and fell to the ground. It was quite weird, as these figures just ran at us. Three girls, really? Well, 15, 16-year-olds with big M16s and three chaps. So six in total running at us with all their all their machine guns, bandanas on their heads and combat gear. Our guides just fell to the floor and offered their hands behind their backs and they were tied up. Me and Paul just stared at these people. I mean, we were like we were in a film set or something. We were in the TV screen. It was extraordinary. And that amazing feeling of, look at those wonderful orchids. Oh, you're screwed. You're going to die. In split second, this happened. On our hands and knees, we went. Rucksacks were ripped off us, tied up with what looked like garden string behind our backs. These big M16 stuck to our heads. Our guides dragged off into the woods. Probably one was executed, uh, even to this day. They, they completely and utterly vanished, basically. And me and Paul marched to our feet and dragged off into the woods for 10 months in captivity. In this episode, the passion for plants gets dangerous. I'm Summer Rain Oaks. From School of Humans and iHeart Podcasts, this is Bad Seeds. My name is Tom Hartdyke, and I'm curator of the World Garden at Lullingston Castle in Kent in southeast England. Tom is a 46-year-old horticulturalist. But to be honest, after interviewing him, it's more apt to describe him as a plant evangelist. His passion for plant life pours from him. Hyper-enthusiastic, I was called the other day. His property in Kent, which, by the way, has been in the family for 20 generations. We moved here in 1361. Has been converted into a world garden with more than 7,000 different types of plants. Laid out as a miniature map of the world. So North and South America are represented. And we've got the Canary Islands. We've got Africa, Europe, Asia, UK and Ireland included in that. And Australia, one of my favourite areas, Australasia. And it's totally bonkers, but it's looking brilliant. To say the least, Tom is something of a plant addict. And he's been one for a long time. And my passion for plants started at the age of three, summer 1980, uh, when my granny gave me a packet of carrot seeds and a trowel. She was an amazing character, and she gave me my green blood cells. And everything else is horticultural history. Tom has traveled all over the world in the pursuit to see the world's most spectacular plants. He's also, if it isn't already obvious, an avid collector. But one plant group has a special place in his heart orchids. Oh, it's just euphoric. It is spine, even now talking about it, spine tingling. It's Granny's fault, all of this. She had to sing about them. It was more our native orchids that really inspired me and Granny. I think they're absolutely majestic and seeing them in the wild here then inspired me to grow some of their cousins in a greenhouse here as a, as a youngster. And then it was the inevitable, the itchy feet. What was it like to go abroad to see these plants in the wild? There's something about them. 
and it's also their rarity and it's something about seeing them in the wild and some just growing on the edge of extinction because there are only just a handful of certain species of orchids growing on a rock in a certain specific site in wherever it might be and that's fascinating absolutely fascinating In 2000, when Tom was in his early 20s, he made plans to visit one of the world's great orchid hotspots, the Darien Gap. A dense rainforest between Colombia and Panama, the gap is widely considered one of the most dangerous patches of wilderness on the planet. Now forget the snakes, poison dart frogs, and jaguars. For decades, the dense jungle has been a hideout for drug traffickers paramilitary forces, and guerrilla fighters. In the Lonely Planet Guide to the region, the editors provide one simple admonishment to travelers considering a journey. Don't even think about it. But Tom, he didn't listen. He had orchid fever. It's the 19th century, and a new plant craze is sweeping Britain. It's not tulips or ferns. This time, the rich are paying explorers top dollar to pluck orchids from the jungle. Tom Miranda, previously the orchid collection specialist at the Smithsonian Gardens, explains that at the time, there were a lot to choose from. There's probably more species of orchid than there are any other type of plant. New orchids are discovered all the time. I think that it's approaching about 30,000 species. Uh, The closest plant family to that number would be the composites, which is the daisy family. Like Tom Hartdyke, Miranda has been obsessed with orchids for a long time. He understands the allure. They're so beautiful that we get seduced by them, and so many of us that get fascinated with orchids end up addicted to them and having these huge collections. They are just mind-bogglingly diverse, and They kind of have personalities. For example, orchids are what we call bilaterally symmetrical. So if you were to take my face and cut it in half, you could fold it over onto itself and it'd be a mirror image. Orchids are the same way. When you're looking at an orchid, it's kind of like looking at a face. You see something that kind of looks back at you with a personality. Those seductive personalities led dozens of Victorian orchid hunters to dive into the tropics, to Sierra Leone, to Brazil, to Ecuador, and Madagascar, to the Andes and beyond. It was a scientific bonanza. They found thousands of species that previously had been known only to locals. People were seeing plants that they never imagined existed. It was very exciting at the time. But it was also before we really knew a whole lot about orchids in particular and ecology in general. What followed was a botanical smash and grab. The wealthy of Europe wanted orchids to show off, and competition was brutal. With thousands of dollars on the line, orchid hunters swiped every plant they could find and then would burn down the surrounding forest to prevent competitors from finding new growth. They did a lot of dumb things. They would take everything. If they found a new species, they would collect them all and ship them all 
back to the old world to be grown, they would often lie about where a plant was collected so that they could have it as an exclusive plant for their nursery. A lot of misinformation was promulgated from that where so people wouldn't know where to find these plants in the future. And sometimes this took like 30, 40 years to figure out where the plants were actually from. That's if any were left. Orchid hunting stripped the tropical countryside. Within decades, many species disappeared entirely from the wild, only to be found in the gardens of the rich and trendy. People think that it's a renewable resource, that there's just thousands and thousands of these plants out in nature. And it may seem that way, but it's very, very easy to make a serious dent in a population by overcollecting. These plants would soon be called the lost orchids. But rarity just enhanced the flower's mystique and boosted its asking price. Orchid hunters kept combing the tropics, ransacking everything along the way. Decency meant nothing. Susan Orlene, in her book The Orchid Thief, tells the story of one flower hunter in New Guinea who discovered some orchids blooming from human remains. He, quote, collected the plants and sent them to England still attached to ribs and shin bones. That kind of behavior prompted one Swiss botanist in 1878 to write, These modern collectors spare nothing. This is no longer collecting. It is wanton robbery. Worse yet, few of those stolen plants survived. They brought them back to England and they put them in what they call stove houses. These stove houses were terrible for those plants. They perished. So entire populations of plants from Colombia and Brazil and Venezuela and stuff all died there with very, very few survivors. So even though all of this incredible diversity was being discovered, a lot of damage was done to the tropical environments that these things came from. And it can take, you know, hundreds of years for those populations to recover. Eventually, the pillaging spread home to Britain, too. Take the lady slipper orchid, Cypripedium calceolus. It bloomed across the north of England until local hunters wiped it out. In 2010, the last remaining wild orchid in the country, which was 100 years old, had to be protected by its own police detail. Even the country's botanical gardens are extra vigilant with these prized plants locking many of the rarest orchids under cages. But during the height of orchid fever, the flowers weren't the only thing in danger. The hunters were, too. Guns, machetes, knives. These were the orchid hunters' go-to tools. They traipsed the forest, knowing that, at any moment, they might have to fend off wild animals, hostile locals and other orchid hunters. One young German hunter named William Arnold bragged that he once turned down a high-paying orchid hunting job because his client failed to give him a trustworthy pistol. The gun wouldn't have saved him. Arnold ended up drowning in Venezuela's Orinoco River. His death was typical.
orchid hunters died of dysentery and malaria. They fell off cliffs and had their heads shrunken. Many stepped into the mists of the jungle and simply never returned. Some were murdered by local rebel groups, others by competing orchid hunters. Orchid hunting was a job for the few, the proud, and the very, very reckless. But the potential for striking it rich was too appealing. In The Orchid Thief, Orlean describes the fate of one cursed orchid hunting party in the Philippines, writing, Within a month, one of them had been eaten by a tiger. Another had been drenched with oil and burned alive. Five had vanished into thin air. And one had managed to stay alive and walk out of the woods carrying 47,000 phalaenopsis plants. To pursue the plant was to embrace a curse, to chase a blood diamond laced with petals. Few survived its seduction, but those who did reaped life-changing rewards. Decades later, Tom Hart Dyke heard the same siren call. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information, so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com iHeart and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com iHeart. Identity theft protection starts here. I don't understand what the big fat ones are. You don't put those inside of you, do you? I mean, you do? This is a show about women. Okay, so I just reapply my lip gloss after eating a delicious lunch. We are headed back now to European political systems class at Baruch College. Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly-veiled aspirational nightmare. That's it. That's actually the name of the show. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. It's like reality TV on the radio. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. (laughs) Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Shannon Doherty, host of the new podcast, Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty. You may know me from, let's see, 90210, Charmed, Mallrats, Heathers. You probably also know me from my stage four cancer diagnosis and sharing that journey with so many of you. There's something so authentic about a podcast. It's me connecting, me talking raw in the moment 
that's what my goal is to give you, to talk about why I feel that cancer to a certain extent is a gift, what my responsibilities are as a person with cancer, because I think that there's something so much bigger than me. And to be honest, I'm still trying to find out what that is. And maybe together, we'll find it. It's going to be a wild ride. So I hope that you all tune in. Listen to Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Minutes before the ambush, Tom Hart Dyke and his hiking buddy Paul had been making jokes about lollipops. Then their world is turned upside down. People in full camouflage rush out from the jungle foliage, and suddenly, Tom is staring down the barrel of an automatic rifle. The armed strangers command that Tom and Paul come with them. As the young men are ushered through the jungle, their hands tied and guns jammed into their backs, they are convinced they are about to die. Then the group stops its trek, and the gorillas ask the hikers to empty their pockets. The only thing that tumbles out are a few seeds. Now this is a pretty good indication that Tom and Paul are harmless. Still, the gun-toting kidnappers keep the two men captive in the forest for 10 long months. So we spent from March to Christmas of the year 2000 with this Colombian guerrilla group. And it was unclear exactly who the guerrillas were. They might have been rebels fighting the Colombian Civil War, like members of Marxist-Leninist group FARC, then a recognized terrorist organization. All Tom could make out was they were very young. To this day, we don't really know who they were or, or what they wanted. An average age of yeah, 15, 16 years of age. A third girls, two-third boys, I suppose, made up the units. About 700 of them in total. 700 different faces that we saw during that uh, the whole time. Over the months, the duo started to get used to the feeling of having automatic weapons pointed at them, even when they had to squat behind a bush or strip in a creek. In private moments, the guys give their captors nicknames, Will Smith, Lucy, M16, to name a few. They create a secret code to communicate, dream up imaginary escapes, and even steal from their hostile hosts. We stole food from them, we stole a machete from them. Paul was an amazing thief, so subtle and so cool about it. One day, one of the gorillas, the one named M16, asks Tom why he was in the Darien Gap in the first place. Tom tells him, I'm in love with plants. I thought to extend my life as much as possible, my tactic was to show them who I was. A gardener from Kent in southeast England and Paul, a mountaineer. And that was a tactic we employed because inside you're absolutely peeing yourself. I mean, you are, you're going to die. So your survival strategy kicks in and you have this faulty fast sort of thing. So on the inside, you're like, oh, we're screwed. On the outside, excuse my language, on the outside, you're very much like, look at that wonderful butterfly flying. But oh, thanks for the tarantula. The hair's got stuck in my throat, but it was good to eat. The armadillo and the howler monkeys were absolutely gorgeous. They weren't. They were awful and they're all protected. <laughs> but it was a way of sort of dealing with the situation. And the captors didn't know what to do with this. I mean, if you showed pleasantries, they couldn't deal with it. You show a negativity, 
and they feed off it. It's quite weird. But if you did say that, they'd get, oh, I've got a sore throat. I miss my granny. And they loved that. They fed off that and got very aggressive. It's quite bizarre human nature, certain human nature. So we had to just show that enthusiasm all the time. And they, they didn't know what to do with us. At first, the militants like M16 thought Tom was bluffing about all this plant stuff. They were convinced the men were trafficking drugs to North America. Or maybe they were CIA. But as time wore on, their minds began to change. Because as the duo followed the gorillas deeper into the jungle, Tom was getting distracted. Oncidiums, Pleurothallus, Lemboglossums. The orchids were fantastic after we were kidnapped. <laughs> they took us right up to these isolated areas, in Panama in particular. And I mean, there were orchids just dripping from the trees. There were literally hundreds worthy of Granny's name. I mean, you could name it after all the dogs and cats, all the fish in the lake, all my friends I ever known over the years, people in the pub down the road. Everyone could have had a new species of orchid named after them. Absolutely. It was astonishing. I'm not an expert in orchids, but... Even I knew there weren't just new species that I was coming across. Uh, there were new genera. We saw quite literally hundreds of varieties. And my guess was that some were highly endemic to this area, the Darien Gap. Thinking that his time was up, Tom did something that technically is illegal. He began to pluck the orchids. During captivity, going from camp to camp with the orchids, I thought there's no harm in that. It's a way of me keeping my sanity, really. He'd later write in his book, The Cloud Garden, I was taking orchids from everywhere, from trees and from rocks. I carried them behind my ears and in my hair to get them to the camp. Eventually, Tom's orchid fever takes over. He had to explore this irresistible array of flora. So he asks the gorillas to come with him. I asked if we could go on these armed orchid patrols to our captors that untied us by then and were reasonably nice. They wanted to kill you, uh, talk to you and k- kill you, but they were nice to a degree. So they allowed us to go on these armed orchid patrols, bring back orchids to the camp, and I started to make gardens. I started to make these orchid gardens, bromeliad gardens. It was quite bonkers, and it was a way of me completely distracting myself from, from the thought of execution. The scariest time was three months into our captivity, June the 16th of the year 2000, when they said, you've got five hours, mate, before, you, before we blow your heads off. I horribly talk to you beforehand, then blow your heads off. Oh, OK, senior. And as he turned his back, he was just 13, this chap, with a gun that was with rocket launcher attachment, about four foot taller than him. I mean, that's terrifying. How do you find solace when you're in captivity? You got endless time to kill and are at constant threat of being killed. But Tom was finding ways to both curb his fears and fill the hours, gardening and planning. And I opened up my diary and started scribbling. I started to draw a mini map of what would turn into the World Garden. It was just a way of distracting myself, a way of me trying to think of Granny and to try and show them who I was, a, a gardener. Turns out the kid never returned to finish them off. And as time went on, Tom started thinking more and more about this world garden idea. What turned out to be the next six months in captivity until Christmas, drawing and fantasizing about this garden that I could do in the two-acre walled area. 
back home. It literally saved my life, just distracting myself from these murderous thoughts. Far from home and far from his dream garden, Tom kept tending to his orchid plot and his captor's encampment until one day it was all gone. When they really became very murderous, they burnt all the orchids. So I never had any orchids to bring back. Of course, legally, I can't bring any orchids back anyway, but they burnt them. They stamped on them all in the end and I never brought one back. Tom the gardener was now without a garden. But then around Christmas time, after months in the jungle, one of the gorillas turned to Tom and Paul and began speaking in Spanish. My Spanish was not brilliant, so it was very much trying to get everything, trying to desperately understand sometimes what they were saying, you know, were we going to die or not? And they just turned around to us and said, Happy Christmas, get lost. If you come back, we'll horribly kill you. And if you bring any friends back, we'll kill them as well. I don't understand what the big fat ones are. You don't put those inside of you, do you? I mean, you do? This is a show about women. Okay, so I just reapply my lip gloss after eating a delicious lunch. We are headed back now to European political systems class at Baruch College. Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly-veiled aspirational nightmare. That's it. That's actually the name of the show. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. It's like reality TV on the radio. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. (laughs) Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Shannon Doherty, host of the new podcast, Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty. You may know me from, let's see, 90210, Charmed, Mallrats, Heathers. You probably also know me from my stage four cancer diagnosis and sharing that journey with so many of you. There's something so authentic about a podcast. It's me connecting, me talking raw in the moment. That's what my goal is to give you, to talk about why I feel that cancer to a certain extent is a gift, what my responsibilities are as a person with cancer, because I think that there's something so much bigger than me. And to be honest, I'm still trying to find out what that is. And maybe together, we'll find it. It's going to be a wild ride. So I hope that you all tune in. Listen to Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. 
In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Not everyone is conscious of how what they do affects the natural world and how much we've displaced. The house that I live in is in a very beautiful neighborhood. We've got wild open spaces and pastures, and but I look out my window and I don't see any native plants in, in my environment. The land that I live on was once a sugar plantation. So all the native plants that were here were removed to plant. We've completely altered the landscape here in terms of the plants that are here. The only native plants that you can find are often in very remote areas, often on cliffs that are inaccessible. And I think this is true all over the world. True native plant communities are incredibly difficult to find and all of them are threatened by climate change, deforestation, exploitation by humans. Tom Miranda pinpoints one of the great ironies of a place like Darien Gap. It's not suffering from these problems. It remains one of the most biodiverse species-rich places in the world. And it's not because it's a protected area. It's because people are too afraid to go there. In a 2020 study in Scientific Reports, researchers wrote that armed conflicts can create, quote, positive effects for biodiversity. Conflicts have disrupted illegal timber poaching in Nicaragua and harmful farming practices in Sierra Leone. Meanwhile, some peace agreements have been shown to hurt the environment. When FARC, the armed guerrilla group in Colombia, signed a peace agreement with the government in 2016, a significant portion of Colombia's land finally became open to exploration. Now, after that truce, the rate of deforestation increased 44% by some accounts. And that's the cruel reality Tom Hart Dyke faced when he was a prisoner in the Darien Gap. All of those new orchids, all of that great biodiversity he observed, much of it new to science, was being unwittingly protected by a bunch of teenagers with guns. After being released, Tom and Paul plunged into the jungle, leaving their captors far behind them. They had gotten everything back, their passports and bank cards. The militants even gave them directions. Their directions were so rubbish. We got completely and utterly lost in the swamps and spent four days starting to really acquire trench foot. So we ran out of food and we were just, the jungle was killing us. And we were sleeping on floating logs barely floating. I mean, we were just soaked for days and our feet, were, it was trench rock, our feet were beginning to split and just began to decompose. I got on my toes now and everything's fine, but any more of that, and we would have had serious medical problems. That's when Paul realized they would have to go against every instinct and do what they felt impossible. 
So Paul turned around to me and said, we've got to go back for directions. We had to go back for a map. So back up the hill, this is honestly true, back up the hill we went. We followed uh, where we'd been. We'd had a machete still and we'd marked the trees with the machete so we could tell where to go. We went to this radio mast, some sort of tower that our captors were, to be captors for a few more minutes anyway, um, were guarding. And you could see them put their hand on their heads shake the drop their guns and went, no it's those two idiots from england we can't get rid of them they'd come back for directions i mean it was almost you can't make it up so back up the hill we went and explained that it was our fault we got lost it was their fault really but we blamed ourselves to not aggravate them and they said okay you turn right instead of left you idiots all right so we knew the mistake we'd made <laughs> and and they gave us money they, they paid us our captors paid us to go in the end i mean it was quite extraordinary they re-released us with better directions and within 48 hours i was back here in england via a speedboat private jet bulletproof cars and the ambassador's residence in the colombian capital bogota when they arrived in bogota they were greeted by the british ambassador to colombia and his wife who presented them each with a box of Ferrero Rocher chocolates. The ambassador's wife is spoiling us. The chocolates were amazing. Me and Paul demolished the chocolates. Thanked her very much. Then she turned to us and said, you two are walking ghosts, mate. When you're kidnapped, you either die, you're either ransomed off, or you have some sort of prisoner exchange of some description. You two have just walked straight out after 10 months in captivity. That will never happen again. And I've been in this post for years and I've seen everything. And I can tell you in 50 years of the Civil War, I've never seen that. Shortly after, Tom decided to dedicate his life to building the World Garden, the idea that helped keep him going in the jungle, in his own backyard. That experience was the embryonic start to it. But the enthusiasm, it's got even stronger because you survived that experience. It's turned me even more towards the the passion for life, which is me shown through the world of brilliant plants and and so on. And I think that Colombian experience has, what's the word, galvanised it really into even more stronger sense of I'm meant to do this. I'm meant to talk to you to broadcast the enthusiasm for plants I have and to generate interest in that field. It's almost like a, a mission it's turned into, all thanks to kids that were just in their teens with big guns. I mean, I, the more you think about it, the more it's a very unlikely story, but it's absolutely true. It's a silver lining, and if anything, a cautionary tale. Because our favorite plants aren't just located in some of the world's most dangerous places. They're also being picked and sold by some of the world's most dangerous people, too. Coming up. If people are willing to pay high prices for these things, criminal networks will want to supply that. So in this vacuum, institutional vacuum, that's where we believe that the mafia arose. I'm Summer Rain Oaks. Join us again next time for Bad Seeds. Bad Seeds is a production of School of Humans and iHeart Podcasts. I'm your host, Summer Rain Oaks. Lucas Riley is our writer. Gabby Watts is our producer. And Amelia Brock is our senior producer. 
fact-checking is by Savannah Hugley and Zoe Farrow. Original music is by Claire Campbell. Sound design and score is by Jesse Neiswanger. Development was by Brian Lavin and Jacob Selzer. Our show art is by Pam Peacock. Executive producers are Brian Lavin, Elsie Crowley, Brandon Barr, Virginia Prescott, and Jacob Selzer. You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly-veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated, we're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Beauty Translated Season 3 is coming soon with, what? A second host? I'm Carmen Laurent, and this season I am joined full-time by world-renowned Janie Danger. Janie, what are we talking about in Season 3? We're talking about life, Carmen. Beauty Translate is about the many fragmented lives spreading across this rich tapestry of the trans experience. And the all-new Beauty Translated love line at 678-561-2785. Listen to Beauty Translated Season 3 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye. Bye. Hi, this is Shannon Doherty, host of the new podcast, Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty. So in this podcast, I'm going to be talking about marriage, divorce, my family, my career. I'm also going to be talking a lot about cancer, the ups and the downs, everything that I've learned from it. It's going to be a wild ride. So listen to Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.